Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. Why reconfiguration is never going to work. It's probably quite fitting that the 10-year anniversary of the Patronage and Pluralism Forum report ended in the same way that it started, with a huge amount of apathy. When the forum was set up to gather its data, the authors must have been seriously disappointed that despite having a multicultural 21st century Ireland in their midst, the vast majority of Irish people that contributed to the research were quite happy with a heavily Catholic-influenced education system. The question, though, has to be asked. Why don't people seem to care about church involvement in schools, despite the fact that it's teaching them a huge number of the wrong lessons? Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Unshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a regular podcast where I take an issue in primary education and I explore what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. Um, If you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you review it, uh, but please do consider subscribing to the podcast so every episode comes onto your podcasting platform, whatever that platform might be, whether that's Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the rest of them. Well, it's over a decade since the forum on patronage and pluralism, and it's over a decade since its report was published, and it's hard to know what to make of it all really in the end. Um, If you've been a regular listener to this podcast, you've spent quite some time with me exploring the strange history of the intertwining of nationalism and Christianity in our education system in Ireland and how the state decided it would be a great idea altogether in the 1970s to tighten that knot of religious control on all aspects of schools and how there is absolutely no appetite from the curriculum designers to loosen that grip as we move to 2026, where the biggest, biggest news story was rather than forcing children to have to be indoctrinated into two and a half hours of religious instruction, they are only going to be uh, indoctrinated for two hours a week. Amazing stuff, really. However, more than anything else, how do so few people care about that? And that's the thing that really blows my mind. You get these headlines in the newspaper like you know that religion is going to be only two hours a week instead of two and a half hours a week and nobody really cares you'll hear the odd people there on twitter going oh separate church and state but at the same time what are they actually doing about it they say it but the very next day they're sending their kids into those schools and many of them in fact most of them are going through the sacraments um, which is to me a very odd kind of thing why do people care so little about the fact that the religion permeates the entire day of 95 percent of primary schools in the country and not only do they care very little about it they even go as far as defending it when there's moves to change schools over to multi-denominational bodies. I mean, why did thousands of people take to the streets in protest when there was a glimmer that the church was going to be allowed to retain the ownership of a maternity hospital on their grounds? And yet when every single year, several primary schools are built with state money, there isn't a murmur when those buildings are gifted back to the church, which happens every year single year. Why is it that the vast majority of Irish people voted for marriage equality in 2015 because it was abhorrent, abhorrent to them that two people of the same sex were not allowed to be married and yet they happily allow their children to listen to a completely different message that it's only acceptable. A relationship that's acceptable is where marriage only occurs between a man and a woman in 90% of schools. Why is it that fewer than 50% of marriages take place in Catholic churches, yet when it comes to schools, 95% of children take a vow of marriage to Christ in communion? I mean, the paradoxical relationship that most Irish people have with the church 
it baffles me. And, you know, I, I can just about understand it a tiny, tiny bit. For example, despite the fact that I no longer practice the religion I was raised in, I definitely don't find the following things that mad. Like, I don't find it mad that when a baby boy is eight days old, the parents choose to cut off the top of that baby's penis. I don't find that odd. I don't call that mutilation. You probably would. And it, I, I find it so, I, I, to be honest with you, I find it not mad. I mean, so not mad that when my boy was born, I simply assumed that would be the case. It seemed so natural to me. I wasn't going to do the ceremony or anything because I didn't believe in the religious aspect of it. It was just, I just heard it was hygienic and that was the reason for doing it. And it turns out there's no evidence whatsoever of, uh, of it. But even though I've done all the research, I have all the evidence that there actually was no, I still kind of think, God, yeah, kind of would have been a good thing to do. It's not, even me saying that, I find mad that I would still think that such is the force of my religious upbringing, despite the fact that I don't practice it at all all. And another example, and I don't agree with this either, I mean I don't agree at all, but I don't find it mad, is I don't walk into most synagogues and find it shocking that men and women have to sit separately and that women can't take part or lead in the service. Now I mean don't get me wrong, I find it absolutely disgusting, as I'm sure you do, but no more disgusting than I feel or disgusted when I feel that I feel when I see people putting their eight-year-old girls in wedding dresses, because that's what you're doing. It's just, I find it easy enough not to think about gender segregation in synagogues because it was completely familiar to me. I don't, I, I don't see that as crazy, even though it is crazy. I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy, but I don't, I, because it's so familiar to my upbringing, I don't see it in that way. In much the same way as you probably don't see a communion dress for what it is. I mean, look at it, look at it. Um, but you know, I'm not going to convince you by saying that in much the same way as you would say to me, why aren't you doing something about the gender segregation in synagogues? Why don't you find that disgusting? I, I guess that's how I can slightly understand it. I also don't find it strange having to wear a yarmulke or a skull cap in my head if I go to a synagogue. I don't find it odd when I see a man with payot, you know, those ringlets of hair coming out of the sides of his ears. I don't find it odd that that same person is probably wearing a black suit and a long beard, whatever the weather. Um, I mean, interestingly, I remember there was a chief rabbi in Ireland in my, in my teens who didn't have a beard. He didn't wear a beard at all then. And this was very unusual. And I remember many people in the Jewish community being deeply suspicious of him, really suspicious. And I remember when he actually left under a cloud, by the way, people said it's probably because he wasn't wearing a beard. He wasn't a proper rabbi at all. Now, none of that sounds absolutely crazy to me. It might sound crazy to you and I could go on and on and on with more and more examples of things that religions do that seem absolutely normal to those that grew up in that particular faith. So I kind of think, you know, look, I can absolutely understand why the things I listed at the start um, happen, that you get married not in a church, but you baptise your child and then allow them to marry Christ in communion. You know, I get you know, I, I understand it because that's probably what happened to you. I get that you probably went to a Catholic school and probably didn't notice the amount of Catholicism that goes on because it's very familiar to you and therefore sending your kid there probably doesn't sound unfamiliar as well. Look, I get it. But the only difference between my experience of Judaism in my case and your experience if you're a Catholic is that never once, never once did my upbringing have any effect whatsoever on your life or anybody else's. Now, hear me out here, because unfortunately, because our primary education system is so deeply monopolized, monopolized and controlled by the Catholic Church, it has a very strong effect on those who do not subscribe to that faith. So why do so many people defend a system they so roundly reject in all other aspects of their life. You know, the thing about it is, if we look 
at certain situations. So for example, you know, I've spoken to you before about Malahide and I've mentioned Rohini as well and other parts of the country where when there's a, when there is talk of a school being divested from Catholicism to a multi-denominational um, system, people are up in arms. Why do people reject that? Even if they reject the religion themselves, the Catholic religion themselves. And that's what I'm going to explore. What is it about schools? I mean, as I said, thousands of people marched when one hospital was to be under the control of the Catholic Church. What about the 2,800 primary schools? Now, earlier um, before, I mean, in a few, I mean, you probably remember if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I outlined the situation that happened in Malahide, one of the most liberal areas of Ireland, where it was proposed to divest one of the many schools in the area from Catholic to multi-denominational patronage. And despite having one of the highest levels of support for marriage equality and abortion rights, they did not want to seed a single school. Now, when I say they, that's what I want to examine today. It was blamed, and basically it didn't happen because, and the, the blame was a campaign of misinformation and fear-mongering, okay? Um, and I've gone through all that fear-mongering in the past. Remember those 22 myths or 23 myths about multi-denominational education? All of those happened in Malahide. In 2022, Three, I think it was, or maybe it was 2022, history repeated itself, and this time it was in Rohini. The government identified this very large suburb of Dublin in an area, it's an area where one of many Catholic schools, um, and there's, I mean, there's technically, there's a, there's not really a multi-denominational school in the area, it's not quite in Rohini, but what they wanted to do, because it's such a massive area with a huge population, that one of the many Catholic schools would consider reconfiguring to a multi-denominational provider. Now the difference this time between, you know, this time in Malahide is that the campaign was being managed by both the Catholic Church and the state with divestment. So reconfiguration and divestment are slightly different. Divestment was when the state came in and asked uh, the population, would you uh, consider uh, divesting some of your schools to, from Catholic to uh, non-Catholic? And effectively, I think maybe one school did that willingly, willingly. Um, I think there were a few schools that divested sort of, even though they didn't really divest. It was the word, it, actually the whole system was a bit mad. I think the only school that genuinely divested was in, was just outside Ballina, which was a new town, town white. Um, and that was a Church of Ireland school. So it wasn't even a Catholic school. I don't think a single Catholic school actually divested technically. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to go into the ins and outs of it because it, it, it's nuanced and it, you'd waste so much time on it. Reconfiguration is different because the Catholic Church are involved in the, um, in the decisions. So the bishop identifies, yes, I would be happy to, to reconfigure one of my schools away from my control to multi-denominational control. And the hope is, the hope is that no one's going to kick up a fuss. And that happened, that has happened, that happened um, just outside Athlone, and it, or, and it also happened in Nina. It also happened in Kerry, it's happened in uh, Kilcullen, it's happened outside Drogheda, and it's happened in a lot of little schools um, around the country. This kind of reconfiguration where a school very quietly moves from being multi-denominational and it generally moves to being a community national school. Um, it rarely, I think there's one case where it didn't move to a, uh, a community national school, that moved to a, a multi-denominational Gwale school that was in Tala. But Educate Together have never been reconfigured to, which is interesting. And I don't know if I'll have time to go into it in this episode, but just the plan is really that the, that the church and state work together to move a Catholic school, reconfigure a Catholic school to a community national school. That's the plan. Now, in Rohini, there were, people did cause a fuss. And this is where this big news story came. In Nina, nobody caused a fuss and the school is now open and it's working very nicely under a community national school model, similarly to Athlone. However, Rohini was different because what the bishop and the state hope is that nobody kicks up a fuss. Because if somebody kicks up a fuss, they have to have a consultation. They don't have to have a consultation if nobody kicks up a fuss, okay? That's, they might talk to, the, talk to uh, the staff about what's going to happen, blah, 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 but they wouldn't have a public consultation. Unfortunately with Rohini, that didn't happen, or fortunately, depending on your way of looking at it. And the task of 
hosting these consultations fell to a retired inspector called Don Mahon, who was engaged by the Department of Education to report to the Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Farrell, for part of this, um, these consultations. Now, while some lessons might have been learned from Malahide, insofar as this time nobody was claiming that children would no longer be able to say Diagwich in a multi-denominational school, the consultations in the three school communities yielded similar results. There have been reasonably recent attempts uh, to change two of the three schools into mixed gender schools. So there was a kind of an idea of amalgamation in the midst, and we might talk about that a little bit when we're when we're going through this. Um, but that seemed to be a bigger deal, the amalgamation, because these are all um there's three schools that they were of the focus of this. There was a junior school which was mixed, and then there was a, a senior boys' school and a senior girls' school. And I think the idea was that the two uh, single gender schools would amalgamate so have a junior school and a senior school possibly and then the third building might become a multi-denominational school and that 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 i imagine was the plan um but um mahan reported there was an attempt to introduce co-education in the schools before all before 2022 2023 um and he says these this was not successful so to be fair even from the off, there wasn't going to be a lot of hope considering single-sex schools are very unfashionable at the moment uh, of moving to a multi-denominational uh, school if people were causing a fuss. In any case, Mahan had to hold these meetings with the local clergy, who he declared uh, were productive. And reading the report, the priests actually involved didn't appear to be against one of the schools moving to a multi-denominational model. But they did state it could only take place where there is community support for the transfer. So... You're going to hear a lot of passing the book uh, as we go through this episode. So they said, we're all right with it, but as long as the community agree with it. Now, knowing full well, I think that the community weren't probably going to, weren't going to agree with it. But anyway, they all agreed that the consultation should continue in the community. And they also felt surveys should be sent out to parents to ascertain whether there was demand for multi-denominational education in Rohini. Now, if you ask the people of Rohini, um, without saying what schools were involved, do you believe there should be a multi-denominational school in this area? You can be guaranteed that most of them would say yes, but the added variable of it being your school, as we'll see, was the thing that was maybe going to cause a problem. And the parent meetings seemed to be quite volatile, uh, according to Maham's report, and in all three cases he commented this was a challenging meeting. Strong views were expressed on both sides, and there was little and there was little appetite for compromise or to find a way to accommodate parents who wanted to send their children to a multi-denominational school in Rahini. There's just quotes from Mahan here. The first concern was that if one school transferred to a multi-denominational patron, it might have a negative impact on the schools remaining under Catholic patronage, which could be interpreted in so many different ways. The rest of the concerns were, I mean, I would just say baffling, given that the religion of a school had no impact whatsoever on their concerns, which was how it would affect the quality of the schools. Catholicism adds no quality to any primary school. It adds religion. This bizarre, bizarre idea that Catholic schools are more academic than non-Catholic schools or, or are better quality. I, I, I mean, I know where it comes from, but it, it, it's just false. There's no other way of looking at it. You know, every school in Ireland, no matter what their ethos, has an equal quality in terms of what they offer. But in a more hilarious turn of events, they worried that there may not be sufficient places for remaining, for remaining Catholic schools. It, it, it's amazing that I heard that sentence. And for me, it's hilarious. You're probably going, why is that hilarious? Because I think there were parents in the audience who probably had hoped for a school that might respect their beliefs uh, we're none too impressed with that one because uh, if you go back to 2016 with the baptism barrier, they weren't very concerned about sufficient places for Catholic for for people who weren't Catholic then. They didn't care about school places for them. No. Anyway, another funny one from the parents was there was concern, and I love that word concern. Concern that the community would be divided with some children attending the multi-denominational school and others attending the Catholic school. Like how would a community be like what I mean? Okay, as if, so we should all send them to Catholic schools then? Or how about we just take 
all of the schools out of Catholic patronage so the community wouldn't be divided. You know, why why should we all be Catholic, forced to be Catholics, instead of like, why don't we just have uh, all the schools to be not Catholic or just be basically all equal? Um, I mean, that would be my solution. Um, however, my favourite remark from Don Mahon uh, was the following. The inclusion of Rahini in the current school reconfiguration for diversity initiative gave rise to suspicions among parents that they were not being given the full story. No matter how hard Monsignor Dan and I as facilitator tried to provide reassurance. <laughs> I don't know, I just think it's a very funny sentence. Like they were basically telling the parents, look, this is what's going to happen. They're like, no, there must be more to it. This is very suspicious. Why are you taking away our school from us? You know, I mean, one could sense the frustration from Mahan that he was facing. He was just facing into the dead duck of an idea. The parents argued further that they didn't have sufficient information on which to base their decision. It doesn't really matter what you told them. I mean, you can sense that it didn't really matter what you'd say to them. Like, you could actually kind of say, this is exactly what this is going to look like. There could be no... I mean, absolutely no room for imagination. This is exactly what's going to happen. No, 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 there must be more to it. There is something sinister going on. You know, oh, it's mad. There were some local surveys done uh, which yielded some interesting results, uh, for example. So there's three schools. So School Anya was one of the schools. They voted 83% against divesting and 17% in favour. So that's pretty high. However, for, mo for those that dreamed of co-education, by the way, because this was another part of this story, 56% uh, were in favour of co-education. I mean, I have to wonder, though. I mean, can you imagine, like, wh why would... Why was it only 56%? Why would anybody want their kid going to a boys' school or a girls' school at primary level? I mean, I, I, I just find this a bizarre thing. What century are the other 44% living in? And, and I suppose in some ways, this is what where, where this all comes down to, I think. You know, if you just take religion out of this for, for, for a second and we talk about co-education, we just talk about co-education, nobody I can think of no, but if you asked anyone, do you think it's a good idea to separate boys and girls in the 21st century? In, and forget about schools um, and, and maybe forget about sports, but like having a social club, let's say, or having any kind of club, should we have a boys club and a girls club separately? People would be like, no, why? Like the clubs would do the same thing. No, of course not. Why would we separate boys and girls? That's really unnatural. That's bizarre. But bringing it into schools, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. We think we should separate boys and girls. Why? Like, like, what do they, they? And in fact, if you ask them why, oh, well, it's just good for choice is what you'll get. Like, there's no reason to separate boys and girls anymore in primary level. I don't know. I don't think it's secondary level either. But some people, some people have this bizarre argument about second level as well. But let's just focus on primary level here. There, I can't think of a single reason why you'd separate boys and girls. A single reason. And this is where this comes down to for me, because I asked about separating boys and girls and, and amalgamating them, and only 56% of people were in favour of it. So what I'm seeing here isn't actually the people, in, and particularly in Rohini, where there is, um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly liberal area. What I'm seeing here is this is not about what's doing the right thing. This is about change and a fear of change. And I think this is where this is all coming from. And later on in the episode, I have a comment from a parent that summed it up pretty well in such, in the, in such a way. But before I get onto that, you know, the whole interesting part of the process was the parent survey and talking to people. And perhaps, you know, you heard about parents, you heard about, you heard from parents, you heard about um, the clergy there. And often when you speak to schools, they'll say, look, we're pretty helpless here. Like we can't really, we would divest, you know, we'd absolutely divest. Um, but, you know, the priest, you know, they, they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't want to annoy the priest. The parents, the parents don't want change. And that's sure enough. I mean, the, the clergy there seem to be happy enough. The parents didn't. And it seems to be about, you know, seems to be about change there more than anything else. But what I want to look at is schools themselves, because... I talk to a lot of schools and they claim I would I would divest tomorrow, Simon. And I talk to them, I divest tomorrow. But are they? Uh, they claim they're helpless. So let's see if that's the case.
before I do, let's 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 get a little bit of an introduction to this, you know, because I I think we could go right into this. But I I want to I want to talk about a priest, a priest I really liked. Um, it's not surprising that I don't have a lot of contact with priests in my job, unlike my colleagues working in Catholic schools. And it's fair to say the priest I know and the one I want to talk about is wasn't really a priest. He was a fictional character, Father Ted. Now I came across. A previous iteration of Father Ted, Dermot Morgan's famous character, in a second-hand bookshop in Ratmines when I was about 14. Um, it was called Trendy Sermons. Sorry there about the noise. It was called Trendy Sermons. And I don't really know why I bought it. it I mean, if you Google Trendy Sermons, Dermot Morgan or Father Trendy, you'll, you'll see the cover of it. I mean, even looking at it, um, <laughs> you, you'll, you'll probably wonder, why, why did it? little Jewish teenager by Father Trendy's Trendy Sermons. Um, and it must be around the time I was making my final decisions on whether or not I believed in a God. Now, I definitely know that I thought the Father Trendy, Dermot, Dermot Morgan, was actually genuinely a priest. I remember looking at it going, oh, okay, he looks a bit trendy. But maybe this is something for me. And I believed that his sermons in the book, because it was sermons about all sorts of things, were actually genuine. Yeah, I was a bit of a stupid child. I was I, I, a stupid teenager. I didn't get it was a... <laughs> I didn't actually get it was a piss take. But anyway, it was only when Father Ted actually came out and I saw him in his role as Father Ted that I joined the dots and went, what an idiot I was. But anyway, there's a scene in Father Ted where he wins an award, the Golden, the golden Cleric. I don't know if you remember this episode. And he uses his speech um, to list all the people that, and uh, to quote, fecked him over. Now, I'm not, just before I get on to schools, <laughs> because I, this is why I'm doing the introduction, by the way, to the schools. I'm not as vindictive as Ted, so I'm not going to be mentioning any names um, and I'm not going to be throwing anyone under the bus. But I spend a lot of my time listening and talking to my principal colleagues, telling me, and they tell me, they would love for church-state separation. They would love, they would be anything they could for the church to be removed from schools. And I'm not talking about a couple of dozen people here. I'm talking about hundreds of people I've spoken to. And I, I would, in fact, I have rarely met a school principal who's talked to me about this, who has told me they are very happy to be working under a Catholic patronage. Um, they would prefer, they tell me they would prefer for it to all be taken out. I mean, at least they will say sacraments need to be taken out of schools, but they will go, most of them go further and say they just think it's, we're living in the 21st century and it's really tricky as a principal, managing a school where you are stuck between a rock and a hard place. You're trying to please your Catholic overlords and you're also trying to please the families that aren't Catholic um, and all the problems that come with it, whether that's your cultural Catholics who want their sacraments but don't want any of the other. They don't want any prayers and they don't want any, um, you know, sex education that, uh, uh, and they don't want any of the, the stuff they don't like. Um, or if it's, um, you know, different religions, um, who are basically saying, look, you know, I mean, we'll respect your, we respect for it, but like it would be much handier if you didn't have faith. And then you've got people like me, the atheists, um, uh, parents who obviously don't want uh, a church state separation. And then you actually have genuine Catholics who aren't happy with what goes on at the moment because they see the whole thing as a circus. So being a principal of a school, you are pleasing nobody. And they see this and they know this. And that's why I think they tell me, look, I'd just rather the church was taken out of schools, really, to be honest with you. And the ones who are most um, involved in wanting the church taken out of schools aren't actually the ones who are cultural Catholics. It's the ones who are deeply devout. And they say to me, Simon, look, I, I find it really hard to run a school as a devout Catholic and seeing my faith being ridiculed um, or me being challenged because I want to uphold the faith of my school and being told, you know, I'm, I'm a genuine Catholic. I believe in this message, but I'm being challenged for it. I'm being told what I'm doing is ridiculous. And I find that very difficult too. So the, look, I mean, I suppose it's a very long winded introduction, um, you know, to how I'm not going to name any names, but almost everybody I've spoken to who is a principal doesn't think 
the church needs to be involved in education. So, I mean, essentially, even if I did list names, which I'm not going to, um, I don't think it'd be any surprise. Anyway, they, they uh, just some of the stories they've told me are just mad, like inappropriate interactions with the parish priest, and some of them disagree with almost everything they have to do, whether that's standing at the altar at a mass and partly the service, or ensure that they're ensure the policies and school statements reflect the Catholic ethos of the school, they tell me that they divest their school tomorrow if the opportunity came along. But despite all this, they never, ever fail to disappoint me. Whether that's small fry stuff, like not even rebelling and closing their schools on December the 8th, for example, even though they don't even have to do that, or even much more impactful things like flouting the admissions bill by not including the specific details of, and I quote, the arrangements for pupils who decline to participate in religious instruction. They stick to the script. They say they put in the thing that if a family wishes to opt out of religion, they need to make an appointment in writing with the school principal to see if that if their request can be accommodated, rather than basically saying what they actually do for religious instruction time they could do that tomorrow if they really wanted to and their and their patron body wouldn't um wouldn't resist because they're just telling them what they have to do but they're flouting the law and to me to be honest with you as much as whenever they all tell me about all this stuff and i was all sounding very sympathetic and about five minutes ago that really hurts me that they don't do that do you know that they wouldn't even do the smallest thing like tell people what they do during religious instruction they don't even tell minoritized people this is what your child is going to do when they opt out that's very hurtful um you know very very hurtful and uh, i i to be honest with you i think it's shameful that they do this and these are people i call friends um and when i ask the rationale for it they blame a priest and and you know what i either the priest is a tyrant or you know, that's what they'll say. Oh, no, I couldn't do it. He's a tyrant. He's a tyrant. He'd kill. Oh, I'd be fired. Or the other reason, this is the main reason. Oh, he's a lovely old man. He's in his 80s. No, he don't, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to upset the parole crater. Do you know? It's not good enough. It's just not good enough. But anyway, so let's think about schools because I don't believe them. I don't believe it when they say, oh, we do our best in the morning. But they wouldn't because so I was delighted when I saw that Don Mahan actually published his report on that doomed re- reconfiguration in Rohini and County Dublin. Um, and I, I said, basically, I'd li- I outlined what everybody said, apart from the schools, about the re- reconfiguration in Rohini. And because much as it was predictable, nimbyism, basically, that's what it was. Because I, I said this to you, you know, and I, 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 actually, that's what it wasn't change. It was nimbyism. I was more interested in what the schools themselves had to say. And I'm not throwing them under the bus. I am just going to read out what they said. Mahan's report has the feedback of three schools in Rohini. And at this time of writing, I don't think I've ever met those principals of those schools. So for all I know, they may be the exception to almost every other principal I've ever met. So I can only take them at their word, as is reported by Mr. Mahan. The three schools are Skull Anya, Skull Asum and Neaskull Ida. Now, or Naskul Ida. I'm going to go through their responses to the reconfiguration now. Um, I, I don't care who the principals are. I'm not, this is nothing personal. I don't care who they are. I don't know. I may, maybe I do know them. I don't think I know them. But essentially, I'm just going to say what they said. I'm not, not making stuff up. So I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here, particularly. I have to commend the first school, which is Skolania, for their adherence to an adage. Skullani is the first school I'm going to look at, but I am going to commend them because they are pretty clever people. I'm going to say that once and for all. They are clever because they went with the adage of whatever you say, say nothing. Remember that don't ask, don't tell. From reading the report, it was very difficult to figure out how they felt. According to Mahan, and this is I'm quoting him in the report here, the staff were generally very strong in the view that they would comply with the desire of parents for the school to either remain under the current patron or to transfer to a new multi-denominational patron. So they basically said nothing. As well, they seemed reluctant to express a preference one way or the other. Say nothing. You can feel Mahan's frustration when he says here, 
Each time they were asked for their view, they tended to go back to saying that they needed more information and that they would go with the wishes of the parents. Do you see that again? They said nothing. They wouldn't say how they felt, much like the priests there. The priest said, oh, we'll be happy with the reconfiguration as long as that's what the community wants. And generally when they say the community, they talk about the parents. And this is again, school on you, let's pass it on to the parents. Now, we saw um, a few uh, a while back, the parents were 83% against this. And we, you know, to be honest with you, uh, my my analysis is maybe my analysis is wrong because my whole basis of my argument really is nimbyism this is all nimbyism if you ask for you know based on the fact that they voted for marriage equality based on the fact that they voted for abortion rights for women by 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 the biggest majority in the country based on the fact that i would imagine most of them would have been protesting the uh, national maternity hospital being handed back to the catholic control this was about nimbyism this was about change but you know i I do have a conclusion here where I think I might prove that point in a while. But let's get back to the school. You can't get blood from a stone. And the only conclusion one could come up to with this school is they were happy to remain a Catholic school because they weren't kind of saying either way. It didn't matter to them either way. Now, another conclusion might be that they were terrified to say anything in case the parents turned on them. I'm inclined to believe the former argument. So let's move on to the next school. Perhaps Don Mahan could get a bit more out of the staff of Skull Assam. Now, Skull Assam, who's led by a doctor, no less, Dr. Bernadette O'Donoghue, uh, asked 20 questions about the reconfiguration plan. Now, Mahan listed all of those questions um, in the report. He didn't write in the answers. And to be honest with you, I was going to, I, I was going to go through them all with you. But if I'm perfectly honest... Um, None of them, no, very few of them are very difficult. In fact, none of them are difficult to answer. But of the 20, 19 of them are actually about amalgamation and not about reconfiguration, which is kind of an interesting thing. It was all about, well, what if our school had to join up with the other school? What would happen to our jobs? What would happen to classes? What would happen to seniority? Blah, 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 blah. All those kinds of questions, which is a bizarre, which is kind of fair enough, because, but it just shows to me that 19 out of the 20 questions were about amalgamation rather than reconfiguration. They were 95% more interested in that. I don't think they either, again, my conclusion is, did they care? that the school would be under a different patron or or not, you know? And I don't know what the answer to that was. I mean, the only question I suppose is uh, on the reconfiguration um, and it was almost joined up with the amalgamation. Um, the question was, if divestment takes place, are we taking away choice from parents in Rohini who do wish to have a Catholic education for their children? Now, to be honest with you, it's an amazing question. It's an amazing question, given the monopoly of schools under Catholic patronage. And it cements my view that logic and common sense go out the window when it comes to emotive subjects, which is just another reason why we can't leave it to the wishes of community to make pragmatic decisions on divestment and reconfiguration. I actually don't think we should be giving communities a choice here. I, I mean, I don't think there should be choice in education. I, like, ideally for me, let's, let's call a spade a spade, ideally... I don't think there should be any religious schools in Ireland. We should all have local schools that we go to and it doesn't matter what school you go to, it should have the same um, non-affiliation with the religion. But if we are going to, this is why I think reconfiguration is doomed to failure because what you're doing is you're asking a group of people with a vested interest in keeping things the same in their community, nimbyism, would you like to change? And the answer is going to be almost, almost going to always be no. And we saw that in the little survey that I told you about there before. Now, um, the question really for me, and the staff to ask a question about, or oh, will we be taking choice away from a monopoly organisation? I mean, amazing, an amazing question. But the question from the staff specifies a Catholic education as well. This is an interesting thing. I'll just read it again. For the parent, does it take away a choice from parents in Raheen who wish to have a Catholic education? What kind of, what is a Catholic education? And I often wonder what they mean when they say it. Now, I spend a lot of time asking people, what's the difference between a Catholic education and, a, and, an, and an equality-based education? And despite passionately defending the concept of a Catholic education, when they're pushed for an answer, not once, never once, not once, 
does a single person offer a single difference? The, what they do, instead of answering the question, this is what they do. And this is like every time I've asked a question, well, they say, educate together schools have an agenda. And you're kind of going, that's not answering my question. I'm asking you, what's the difference? What does a Catholic education have that an educate together school have? And the answer always is, not what a Catholic education does, because, you know, I can tell you that the answer is basically, um, is basically rooted in things that they don't like. Catholic education and equality-based education is about 95% the same. The only difference with a Catholic education is religious instruction, where you basically teach children that Catholicism is the correct way of thinking. All of the aspects of Catholicism, even the bits that cultural Catholics don't like, such as the RSE programme, Relationships and Sexuality programme, where you teach children that puberty is a gift from God, that Mary said yes to a stranger coming into a room to turn it uh, to and you teach them things, all those kind of things. You know those things that are hard to swallow, the things that are not right, you know, marriage is only between a man and a woman, those kind of things. That's the difference between a Catholic education and an equality-based education. Nothing else. You know, some people say, oh yeah, well, that gender ideology thing. No, Catholic schools treat gender the same way as equality-based schools. There's no difference. You go into any Catholic school where there's a child questioning their gender, they will treat that child in the same way as a child questioning their gender in an Educate Together school or in a community national school. There is no difference whatsoever. Anyway, um, as I said, the rest of the, the, all the questions, other questions focus on amalgamation. And the uh, and basically, most of them would have been already well known to the staff if they bothered to look. But it gives a glimpse, I suppose, it gave me a glimpse into how little the school seemed to know about what was being proposed. Um, as I said, only one mention, uh, one question was about reconfiguration and they even managed to misname that, which was funny as well. They called it divestment. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, and the question on reconfiguration was also interesting as well. Just further analyse the question. It's funny, it was only one question, but to analyse it further was it didn't mention the staff in any way. It's as if the staff have no concept of how changing patronage would affect their entire ethos. In fact, there are more changes to the way they teach in reconfiguration than there would be in amalgamation because that's what they were concerned of. 19 out of 20 questions. And the thing, the actual reconfiguration would actually change the way they would teach. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the staff seemed more concerned about their job security than the human rights of their pupils. I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I'm just saying that sentence. That does sound a bit judgy, uh, but I didn't... I don't know, maybe it's an unfair conclusion to make, and I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't have said that sentence, but it, that's what it was. We have to remember as well that they said nothing, you know, either. They they didn't actually say um, how they felt about reconfiguration here. And rather than don't ask, don't tell, this school asked questions. They didn't give their opinion, they just asked questions. It's only me that believes the questions told me everything I need to know about what they thought, particularly from the one question on reconfiguration. Let's finally look at Naskol Ida, the third school, the third school, the third school in the puzzle. It's a mixed infant school, so they weren't bothered about the amalgamation, and it feeds children into either Skull Asum or Skull Anya, depending on whether that child is a boy or a girl. I can't say what happens to children that identify as neither or somewhere else on that spectrum, but that's for another day. And I don't want the <laughs> I don't want the episode to focus on that. Oh my god! Uh, can I imagine people who are listening to this going mm -hmm, mm -hmm, gender, gender? Anyway, uh, based on the success of Nina's reconfiguration, which is also a junior school, if someone was taking bets on which of the three schools had the biggest target on its head for reconfiguration. I would say Naskul Ida was it. Now, why do I say that? Um, because it sounds very threatening, um, really, than the re actually what the reality would be. If I would love if my, you know, if I was in a Catholic school and there was a target on my head to be changed from not Catholic. So it's, <laughs> but um, I'm sure, and, and I'll tell you why. Why, why would this school think that they were more likely to be reconfigured? Okay, 
first things first, it's mixed school. It's a mixed school. That makes it easier to reconfigure. You're not changing it from single sex to um, mixed. Um, now, I, you might say to me, oi, oi, Simon, hold on. Wasn't the school in Nina, that was a boys' junior school. Why, 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 why there you go. There's your pro point proven. The thing about that is, it's actually not the fact that it was a mixed school. Mixed school is not really the most important thing here. It just, it's one less variable to worry about. But the most important sentence in this is, it's actually, it's the fact that it's junior school. And this is why junior school is so important. A junior school tends not to do sacraments. If you look at Nina, the children left after first class. So there was no big deal for most parents there. There was no big deal for most parents because if their child moved on to a, um, if their child stayed in that school, they would they they wouldn't there wouldn't be a problem with um, the sacraments because they never made the sacraments there anyway. So a child starting in that school, not making their sacraments wouldn't be a big deal. That's where the difference is. This is where the change might be and it was easier. I hope that makes sense to you. So if you went to this Nina school that became a community national school, it never made communion. So there was never a history of communion. So therefore there wasn't another, that was another, that was a major change. That was something that wouldn't be a major change. So my 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 theory is that Naskol, Ija, they also, kicked the kids out after first class. No child in that school made their communion, ever. That's interesting. So there's no history of sacraments. And I believe that cultural Catholics only care about sacraments. So I would say that if there was this, one of those three schools was the one that was going to divest for me or reconfigure, school, Naskol na Ija was the most likely because they didn't have um, a history of sacraments. And I'm sure the principal, Claire Ring, knew this too, which is why I believe this was the school that revealed more. They didn't do don't ask, don't tell. They didn't just ask loads of questions rather than giving their own opinion. This school very much so gave their made their feelings known. And according to Don Mahon, Ms Ring made a statement at the beginning of the meeting. In the statement, she made it very clear her own commitment to working in Naskul Ija under its current reconfiguration as a Catholic school under Catholic patronage, quote unquote. There did not seem to be any explanation for that attitude other than the fact that the majority of children in the school were Catholic. That was her own explanation. I should note here, she didn't say all of the children. She said the majority of the children. I wonder what she was thinking for those um, children that weren't Catholic. But anyway, that's for not for now. Mann continued that he explained the reconfiguration for diversity process because the school requested he did not use a PowerPoint presentation. I love that, I, I, to be honest with you, <laughs> I love details like this um, and trying to figure out why did the school really not want PowerPoint? Oh, no, 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 no. Tell us about it. We don't want it. We don't want a PowerPoint. Oh, gosh, no, no. Anything but a PowerPoint. You know, you know reconfigure us if you want, but don't show us a PowerPoint. Um, no, they, they actually don't reconfigure us either. It might be the one thing the school and I actually agree on. I hate PowerPoints. In any case, he and the Monsignor, Dan O'Connor, spoke on what was involved in the reconfiguration initiative, its objectives, and also why Rahini was included in the project. They also outlined how the reconfigure process, reconfiguration process would be implemented if a decision was made to transfer patronage and the arrangements for staff. So that was what happened next. But despite this, another member of staff spoke up echoing the thoughts of Ms Ring, followed by the rest of the staff, which Mahan described as general agreement with the views expressed by the principal and the teacher. So everybody basically like wanted to be Catholic. The chair of the board of the school also spoke at the meeting, reiterating that the school would remain under Catholic patronage. So I imagine if you were a member of that staff and didn't feel that way, I'm pretty sure if I was in that situation, even me, a raging heathen, I would probably stay shtum. However, my favourite part of the report was they did a staff survey and it was conducted by the principal. Now, we won't go through all the questions, but the answers are great. They're really, they're great. They're fun. So here's the, um, here's, here's, here's the first question. Which of the options most closely align to your personal preference? 
Now, while there isn't a list of the options in the document, I imagine it was a range of options around amalgamation and reconfiguration, as well as remaining the same. Well, here's the result. All 19 staff members ticked the option Nascolegia to stay as it is. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, here's the next question. Would you consider divestment a worthwhile outcome for Nascolegia if this results in school changing its current configuration? For example, becoming a vertical school. Results? Oh, sorry, this is the funny thing I liked. Sorry, if this results in a, it becoming a vertical school with knee being removed, so knee, sorry, it's not NASCAL, it's knee school. I knew it was. I was kind of saying NASCAL, like a NINRA, knee school, EJA. Sorry, um, so basically, would you consider divestment a worthwhile outcome for knee school, EJA, if this results in the school changing its configuration, for example, becoming a vertical school? Knee removed? The results? Yes. Zero. No. 19. Next question. If divestment is the final decision, do you feel personally ready to implement the required changes by September 2023? Results? Yes. Zero. No. 19. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's very funny. Um, you know, it, can you imagine any survey um, where that's the results? 100%. Uh, in favor of uh, in favor of being Catholic, um, and in favor of all the anyway of of change a hundred percent in favor of not changing. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't think so. As you can see, the results were emphatic. And for all the talk I hear from schools, when push comes to shove, nimbyism is alive and well in the teaching profession as it is in the general populace. For all the teachers that complain about church control and how they divest their school in the morning even in one of the most liberal areas of Ireland, in a campus where reconfiguration would have made almost no difference to anyone, the numbers speak volume. I would love it if the Department of Education asked these same questions to all staff in all denominational schools, and I'd be surprised if the answers weren't similar. However, one has to ask the question whether this has anything to do with the love of Catholicism or whether this has anything to do, everything to do with change and nimbyism. Despite all of the work, there was still room for confusion as well. Mahan actually wrote in his report regarding the meeting in Skolania, Late in the meeting, it emerged that some staff members were under the impression that all three schools were being asked to decide on transferring to a multi-denominational patronage. To me, it proved that whatever I really think about the schools, the reality is that either the information about reconfiguration isn't being communicated properly, or that there isn't or wasn't enough interest from the staff in seeking it out in the first place. However, when one wants to get to the truth of any matter, often it can be had on an informal chat. And this is where I get to my conclusion. I managed to find a parent that had similar views as the staff of the schools, but he identified openly as an atheist. And he was against the schools moving away from a Catholic ethos, which isn't as unusual as one might think. There are a number of people who will claim to be atheists, but like sending their kids to Catholic schools. To be honest with you, I have never had a good reason for that. Um, I think, again, it comes to the perception that a Catholic school is a good school. And that brings us back to all the way to episode four, way back in the olden days of my podcast about parents being in search of the good school and believing the myths that are out there about Catholic schools, which have been imported from the UK. But his reasoning anyway stuck with me, despite the cognitive dissonance. Why would an atheist want to send his child to be indoctrinated into Catholicism? But he expressed it through his eyes as a parent saying this reconfiguration thing was very vague. He didn't fully understand it and it was vague and no parent wants their child's future to be vague. At least we knew what we're getting in a Catholic school, even if we don't believe it. He didn't understand the proposal for reconfiguration and he didn't see the point of it. And while he agreed that many are dissatisfied with a Catholic ethos, he said a majority are probably okay with it. However, what struck me 
was his next part. In the background to this case, he believed there were a lot of arguments going on. He said in the, he was basically saying like there's there's a lot going on here in the background. I mean, this isn't as simple as just changing a school. There's people arguing in the background. He mentioned, for example, Community National School and Educate Together are arguing over patronage, as he put it. And he didn't know whether they were two different ethoses or not. And he then referred to the debate on single sex versus co-educational schools, which was being led by Aon Oreardon, his local TD. That was another argument. And he said with all the arguments going on, he said his conclusion was people just throw their hands up and go, ach, ach, look, leave well enough alone, quote on quote. In some ways, given that it seems people don't seem to understand reconfiguration, they don't seem to care about reconfiguration, they seem happy enough with the way the education system is at the moment, if it ain't broke and all that, why, why are, why are people bothering to change it? Do you know? If, and it's very hard to disagree with it. I mean, it, it's sorry, it's very easy to disagree with, agree with it, but it's very difficult to argue with that kind of, I suppose, that kind of, um, you know, point of view. You know, and as far as people are concerned, we have a good education system. You know. It's Catholic, like really, you know, a lot of people will say this sort of stuff. Sure, there's no Catholicism really happening. So, I mean, the amount of parents I talk to and I say, oh, I work in Educate Together. And oh, yeah, my kid goes to whatever Saint something school. Ah, sure, it's different to my day. Sure, they barely talk, teach Catholicism nowadays. You're like, if only you, like, number one, if only you knew. And number two, like, do you have any interest in what your kid does in school? I mean, it happens. It's amazing that all this stuff happens. You know that, or and also even even that aside, geez, forget all that. What about the kids in your? What about the kids in your in your child's class that aren't you know tokenistically Catholic, um, and they have to sit at the back of the classroom every day? How do you feel about that sort of stuff? Um, you know, I mean, this is a big question. The minorities, the people, where this actually is harmful. Do we have to find ourselves in a state of hopelessness? You know, like, well, the majority of people kind of find all this grand. You know, you've got these kind of outliers. You've got the really devout Catholics who find this absolutely shocking. You've got people who are not Catholics. So this is a minority of people as well who um, find this really difficult and sit at the back of classrooms and all the rest of it. And is this just hopeless? And is it set up to be hopeless? And I argue and I've argued before, that the Forum for Patronage and Pluralism was always going to fail. It was always going to fail. If we have this idiotic idea that we should have free choice of schools, we are, and, 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 and I don't mind choice of schools, uh, you know, in some ways, if all schools are pretty much the same, but we're actually giving the choice along religious lines. So Muslims will go to a Muslim school. Rastafarians will go to a Rastafarian school. Sikhs will go to a Sikh school. Catholics will go to a Catholic school. And atheists, will they go to an atheist school? I, I don't know. Is there such a thing? But it's bizarre. Why would you separate children on those lines? You know, it, it's, it, you know this is why it was doomed to failure. And picking on an area and saying, will one of your schools, your, one of your schools that you're all very happy enough with, most of you are happy with one of them changed to non-religious or equality based you're, you're 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 going to you're you're banging into a brick wall and it's no surprise that in rohini and malahide these things happened i'm actually more surprised that nina and athlone did happen and there wasn't um, um a fight against it maybe there was a fight and i just didn't hear about it but it, it, there wasn't enough of a fight for anything to happen. Maybe it's something to do with Dublin, the Dublin country divide. I don't know, Dublin rural divide. Um, but these are the kind of things I suppose I uh, lose sleep over. And if one of the most liberal areas of Ireland can't seem to see the greater good in moving away from a church-controlled system, despite opposing all or much of the dogma they force these schools to teach, is there any prospect at all for minoritized people to feel hopeful in any way. And if I were the Minister for Education, you already know what I would do. I would be scrapping this forum for patronage and pluralism and I would be removing church control as quickly as possible from schools and everyone would just go 
to their local school. So there you have it, um, another episode about divestment and reconfiguration and the power of the Catholic Church over our education system. I hope you picked something up from that anyway. Uh, just the, the angle of this really was I got uh, this document, Don Matten's document, about the consultation. It was a report on that consultation, Rahini. Just for the record, I didn't get that from Don Matten. I got that from a member of the public in Rahini who was very, very cross about how that reconfiguration uh, consultation went and really cross about how um, aggressive it was and how hopeless it was and how it was never going to come to fruition thanks again to very loud people and nimbyism and all the rest of it um, and I just want to I'm obviously not going to name the person who sent them to me but I want to thank them publicly for sending that document because it was actually very helpful in uh, finding out a lot about what was going on um, that's it, as I said, for this week. Um, I am very happy uh, that our next one is actually going to be another tech special. I do a tech special every so often uh, where I'm going to be interviewing one of the uh, best known podcasters, not only in uh, Ireland, uh, but in Europe. He's a, a man from uh, the UK, the Isle of Wight, Joe Dale, and I got a chance to catch up with him about podcasting, but also about all things technology and education, including the first thing that got him very excited about technology and education all the way to today's hot topic which is chat gpt and how excited both he and i are about the prospects of it in education anyway until then thanks so much for listening all the very best goodbye